0: Hello, everyone. I'm Alan Mellish, Director of Events and Online Content at the Human Capital Institute, and this is 9to Thrive HR. Today's episode is brought to you by the good people at Limeade. To learn more about Limeade and all the great work they do, go to www.limeade.com. Also, uh, today we're going to be talking uh, on the topic of employee engagement, It's uh, especially with the uh, COVID-19 virus and uh, a lot of other issues that are long-term. It's a constant topic of discussion, I think, around here in the offices at HCI and also just in the HR world in general. It's that challenge of how do we get uh, people bringing their best selves to work? Um, uh, retaining people longer for more productive careers with the organizations that they're working for. How do we do that? It's a, a constant struggle and a really tough nut to crack sometimes. So today I'm very excited because we're joined by Lindsay LaGreed, Senior Advisor at the Aid Institute, and uh, she's gonna be sharing with us some of her research and insight into that area. Lindsay, welcome to 9 to Thrive HR.
1: Hi, Alan, thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation.
0: Absolutely. Uh, So it's always good with these kind of conversations where we're throwing terms around to start off with defining things a little bit for the purposes of this discussion. Um, So let's define employee engagement and then follow up question to that. Why does it matter?
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you started there, Alan, because I agree. I think uh, language and empowering people with the right language to describe their experience is so incredibly critical, especially when we're talking about topics as important as things like employee engagement. Um, So before I share the definition of employee engagement, I want to share a little bit about who the Limeade Institute is, because we're the ones that sort of built this definition. So Um, I work as part of the Limeade Institute. Uh, We're a group of researchers and organizational psychologists and people who are really passionate about helping organizations build people-centric strategies that are based in research. So we do primary and secondary research on topics like employee engagement, inclusion, trust, leadership, all of these different things that impact the employee experience. And so employee engagement is a big topic that we've done a lot of different research on. And I think the definition of employee engagement is so important because I think it's a little misunderstood. Um, Limeade Institute defines engagement as a deep connection and sense of purpose at work that creates extra energy and commitment. So it's really about an experiential, qualitative characteristic. Um, And sometimes I hear employee engagement confused with things like job satisfaction, which is a little bit more... Um, transactional and sort of zooming out and looking at the conditions of your work. Do I have a reasonable commute? Do I have the benefits that myself and my family need? Um, But employee engagement is really more about does the work that I do, does the way that I spend my time give me energy that helps foster a real sense of mutual commitment between the organization, and the individual employee. So one way that I think it's helpful to think about it is sort of as your work well-being. You know, I think we understand physical well-being, emotional, mental well-being. I I like to think about my engagement and engagement in general as your work well-being. It's fluid. It ebbs and flows. It has lots of different um, contributing factors, um, but it really is about the human experience of what your time at work gives to you or takes away from you. Um, And to answer your follow-up question around sort of why it matters, well, I think there is the one answer that it, it matters because the research consistently shows us that more engaged employees get your business, better business results, whatever that happens to be, whether you're in the industry of delivering healthcare and you want better patient outcomes, or whether you're in the business of you know, airline travel and you need more on-time departures, the research shows very consistently that more engaged employees are more likely to get you that result. So that's sort of one answer and, and it's valid and, it, and it's important. But I think far more importantly, engagement matters because these are human beings and human beings deserve to have that experience of feeling like the way that they use their time every day matters and is important. And that the way they use the biggest block of their time in a day should actually give them energy and not sort of slowly drain the life and soul and color from them. So I really think this is about basic human needs and the need to feel that the way I use my time, my energy, my resources, my gifts is valuable and is acknowledged and is recognized. So I think the most important thing is that it's a human Need and and that's what I would like to see more organizations prioritize is that it's just the right thing to do because these are human people that come to work for us every day.
0: Thank you for that and uh, and as you're <laughs> as you were saying, getting the lifeblood uh, sort of the life and soul slowly uh, sucked out of you. It made me think of, well, two things. It made me think of like a, uh, a strawberry or an apple or something having all the juices sucked yeah, out of it. Absolutely. <laughs> like, you know, like there's this nice ripe fruit and then it gets uh, dehydrated and, uh, and devivified somehow.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> it's really sad. I, I recently saw someone post something on LinkedIn and it just stopped me in my tracks. This um, company created a toilet designed for the office. That had a forward lean. So the actual toilet seat was leaned at an angle forward so that it would be uncomfortable to sit on it for a long time. And you'd sort of have to hold yourself up in a squat because it was to solve this problem that employees were so miserable in their jobs that they would rather take their phone and be in the bathroom for 15, 20 minutes. And the fact that the solution to that problem was let's design a miserable toilet instead of let's design work that doesn't make people want to escape to a bathroom with its accompanying sense and sounds and experiences just blew my mind.
0: Right. Yeah. If the bathrooms become like a preferable, <laughs> preferable environment for an extended period of time, there's yeah, bigger issues yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like how sometimes they put out tape that's meant to keep pigeons off of certain areas, like the the sign of your business or whatever. It's like, okay, let's not treat us like pigeons.
1: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs)
0: Um, So I think we covered a couple of ways that organizations are de-engaging their people. (laughs) But uh, I think what everybody, and everybody probably has pretty good examples of those from their work lives. Um, So what, but what are some examples of how, employers can create more engagement? What, you know, what are the conditions that need to be there for em- your employees to be en- get more engaged than they are today?
1: Yeah, as I think about that, there's a couple of different things that come up. I think the first one is really sort of the basic foundational piece, which is well-being. You need to invest in the well-being of your people. And uh, the research that the Lion Institute and others have done really shows that there's a pretty consistent relationship between the levels of well-being an individual has and their level of engagement. So the more well-being, the more engagement is a pretty consistent pattern and theme that we see. And if you and I think about it, it makes sense. You know, if I got no sleep because I had too many glasses of wine last night, because I was decompressing after a horrible day. So I get up, I'm already kind of stressed, and then I need four cups of coffee. And then you know, the first thing I do is open my email, and I've got a bunch of nasty emails from my manager. You know, I'm not going to be the person that in that day shows up with a brilliant new way for us to serve our customers, or thinks of an amazing way for us to be more efficient with our time or our money. So supporting your employees' well-being is critical, helping them understand that the number one priority needs to be for them to be at their best every day. And in order to be at your best, you do have to take care of those basic well-being components, your financial well-being, your mental well-being, your physical and emotional well-being. All of those things are critical. And I'm starting to see more organizations understand that. I think it's a little unfortunate that it's taken, you know, a global pandemic and, you know, collective trauma and stress around racial injustice for leaders of some organizations to go, are we doing something to help our people's well-being? So I think once an organization um, prioritizes well-being, there are some critical components to doing that well. And I specifically want to talk about leaders and managers. So, the Limeade Institute has done some research that looked at what are the different characteristics and components that need to be in place for an employee to say, my organization supports my well being. And there are eight statistically significant drivers of this concept of organizational support for well being. And leaders and managers are two of the top three drivers. And when I think about what leaders and managers do, I think there's a few things. The first is that leaders and managers prioritize what matters. They're the ones that set the tone for if it is or is not okay for you to prioritize your own well-being. They can also be real champions and supporters of that. They can be vulnerable and share their own well-being experience. Um, But I think especially right now during COVID-19 and this transition to a very different working environment, Managers and leaders are the conduits of trust or a lack of trust. And trust is an incredibly important ingredient when you want to have an organization that has a quote unquote culture of well-being. And this symbiotic relationship between trust and trustworthiness also shows up in the research when we look at cultures that support well-being. So it really comes down to Does my manager, does my leader, does the organization fundamentally trust me to do my job? It amazes me how many times we take these adult human beings who can vote, who can be on a jury, who pay their taxes, who have driver's licenses, and then we treat them like they can barely feed and clothe themselves when it comes to work. And when you do that, you've just eroded this sense of commitment that they have. And then employees need to feel like, I can trust this organization. Yes, they have to make hard decisions, and I am sure there are components of those decisions that I don't understand. But I trust that I was at least a part of that decision-making process. So, leaders and managers play a critical role in your experience of trust and your experience of whether or not it's okay for you to support your well-being. You know, for example, if um, you know I got a, an email from my manager last week saying, "Hey, make sure you spend some time outside today." Probably took her five seconds to type that email. And just something as simple as asking, How is your well being? Not, Hey, how are you doing? How is your well being? is a moment for human connection, trust, vulnerability, and support to show up in the workplace at a time when I think it needs to more than now, more than ever.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think changing those words that you use is important too, because when somebody says, How are you doing? that's just a, you know, uh, it's a greeting essentially nobody's really wanting to know how you're doing when they say how are you doing that's like the ru- one of the rudest things you could do is to actually say how you're doing when somebody asks you
1: it's a pretty shocking experiment to say no i have really <laughs> been struggling with anxiety lately and it's been hard but people are just completely unhinged and have no idea how to respond which i think speaks to a, a need to get better at that
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes yes it is um So that was a great example uh, or one great example of something that a manager or a leader could do to encourage somebody to look after themselves because it is, it's funny, uh, even though now so many of us are working from home, it's almost like being, you know, being an animal in a different environment, Mm -hmm. trying to work from home and, uh, you know, forgetting to go outside, even though you probably have a yard or at least a a street that you could go out onto and- and take a 15 20 minute walk like it's i think everybody's a little still a little bit confused and discombobulated enough that those reminders are really helpful absolutely um, what are some examples of what employee engagement looks like you know how is it showing up in your research or your discussions with uh, with with employees and leaders at organizations what does it look like when it's getting when it's going right
1: Yeah, you know, one of my favorite stories around what employee engagement actually looks like, it's actually a story from um, John F. Kennedy. When he was the president, he was at the space station. He was kind of, you know, given some rah-rah for the space race. He's shaking hands, taking pictures and and all of this fun stuff. And um, he went up to somebody who worked in some sort of custodial capacity and asked them, what do you do here? And this individual said, I'm helping send a man to the moon. And I think that's such a beautiful example of an organization going above and beyond and explicitly helping each employee connect what they do each day to the mission of the organization. And I see some companies do this so beautifully. I think about companies like Southwest Airlines that does an amazing job of bringing your heart and fun to work. And you see those you know, people doing the dances on the tarmac and you see those flight attendants going above and beyond to make the safety announcements really fun and entertaining. That's what employee engagement looks like. And that's happening because their organization has helped them say, even if you do take out the trash here, that's a critical part of us being able to do whatever big, crazy thing we're trying to do here. Um, I also think of, we work with a lot of healthcare customers and, um, Sort of in a similar vein with their custodial staff, they've given them a lot of autonomy. It's sort of, hey, here's a list of things that need to happen every day, but you can do them in the order and sequence that makes the most sense for you. So we've heard stories of custodial staff seeing you know, families grieving or families in the throes of making just incredibly hard medical decisions and choosing that you know, now's not the time for me to insert myself and take out the garbage or clean this or that. They felt trusted by the organization to make the right decision that's aligned with the organization's mission, which is to deliver an amazing patient experience, and that the organization would trust that it's okay if I do things differently in order to help us achieve that. And just one last example from another healthcare customer of ours, because this one just really kind of rocked my heart. Um, There was a a parking attendant who sort of took the tickets and gave the tickets every day at a children's hospital that we work with. And um, this young boy was going to the hospital very regularly to get cancer treatment and so sort of befriended this parking attendant. It was sort of part of the morning ritual to, you know, say hi and and share some niceties. Um, And after a while, the young boy asked if this attendant could come to some of his sessions, his treatment sessions with him. So this you know, parking attendant sort of like, well, I don't know what to do about this. And so they go to their manager and their manager says, absolutely, of course, we'll find a way to rearrange schedules or, or figure out some gap care. Or I'll even come do that so that you can do this. And tragically, the boy lost his battle with cancer. But the parking lot attendant was at this boy's funeral, invited by the family. And the family just shared how... You know, he was a light in this boy's life. And that's where I think it's so important that people understand even being a parking attendant or on a custodial staff, these are jobs that matter and can have a huge impact. And it's up to each organization to decide if that's going to be a possibility or if we're going to treat this as this very sort of sterile transaction of, you know, services and time for money. It's so much more than that because we're all human beings. And then I think, you know, you and I experience engaged and disengaged people every day. It's the barista who gives you a compliment or asks you a question or tries to remember your favorite beverage or, you know, the flight attendant who helps you, you know, get your bag down or, you know, um, I think about like customer service, customer support for tech issues, that person that really helps you and makes something that you maybe dreaded or thought was going to be miserable, not miserable. Those are engaged employees. That's what that looks like every day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, a couple of pieces came to me as you were talking. You know, it's relatively famous, but for anybody who doesn't know, the, um, the custodial staff at uh, Disney Parks, um, you know, they intentionally pay better than the market rate and invest in those people in all sorts of ways because, you know. If you've ever been in a Disney park, and hopefully you'll get to go to one again when all this is sorted out a a little bit better. But it's, uh, you know, it's very easy to get lost and confused, especially when it's very crowded and it can be overwhelming for people who haven't been there before. And Disney realized that the custodial workers are the most common source of information for people who are lost at the park or wanting to find the nearest bathroom, anything like that, because you can't really you can't ask the guy, the person in the Mickey Mouse costume for directions yeah. to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Mickey's not supposed to be talking yeah. to you. He's supposed to just be taking pictures.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, Great. that was
0: one that came to my mind.
1: Yeah. And I've seen it actually go, you know, sort of the opposite direction too. I'll, I'll never forget. Um, Dr. Hamill, our co-founder, was shared a story with me about meeting with a call center, high performing population, sort of doing this think tank and focus group around What do you think causes you to be these high performers at a call center? They have the most number of calls, the fastest resolution time. And this one woman was very sort of proud and excited and engaged in the conversation. She raised her hand right away and she said, I have this all figured out. And so Dr. Himmel sort of leans in and is like, oh, I'm so excited to hear this. And the woman shares that she keeps a gallon of water in her car, doesn't drink water all day. So that she doesn't have to go to the bathroom so that she can get through more calls. And then when she, you know, leaves for the day, she she drinks water for the first time. And she is here just beaming about this strategy that she thinks is so great and innovative and that no one has intervened and said, oh, my goodness, absolutely not. You know, where is the manager? Where is the well-being support? Where is the basic human needs. Right. So yeah. Don't
0: wreck your kidneys.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So (laughs) So
0: that you can take more calls.
1: Yes. There is an organizational obligation and responsibility. This is not up to each individual employee. It's up to the organization to create the conditions and the priorities and the messaging around what matters, how we do things around here, how important you are as an employee or not important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I could see that, you know, instead of celebrating somebody who's answering emails at 3am, maybe be like, hey, it's 3am, you should be asleep. Exactly. Uh, Don't make this your regular way of doing work.
1: Absolutely. Especially if that person's a manager, because then guess what their whole team's going to think they need to do? Or the PTO is like, are you actually on PTO? Or is it, well, it'd be great if you could check in maybe once in the morning and once in the afternoon, just to make sure there's no fires. you know, that's, a culture, that's a cultural attribute. That's one of those powerful indicators of how it is or isn't okay to behave at an organization. And that can have massive consequences for business outcomes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so this has been really great conversation. But I do want to give a moment to say, you know, okay, we're living in it, especially right now, you and I are taught using technology that basically didn't exist 10 years ago to record this um people are using all this kind of video conferencing software to hold meetings in ways that they you know would have avoided like the plague uh, you know a few minutes ago so there's obviously technology with us right so what is the role of technology in providing a different experience for employees and more importantly you know, let's make it a positive one rather than getting Zoom fatigue after nine hours of video conferences. Uh, You know, let's how can we make technology work for us um, when it comes to the employee experience?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think at its core, what technology can do is it can provide an organization a direct line of communication. A single point of contact between the employee and the organization. Now, unfortunately, I think a lot of organizations have, for some reason, not bought into that. Like it won't work because we have, you know, a manufacturing population that's on the or we have a healthcare population that's out on the hospital floor or we have a distributed workforce or whatever and i'm i'm sort of <laughs> at the end of my patience for that argument like every single you know the majority of people have a phone they have a smartphone they have access to technology and so you know sending home mailers and postcards and flyers is just so ineffective in today's world and so it's been really interesting to kind of observe organizations during covid-19 i think a lot of companies thought that they had an effective and efficient technology-based way to communicate with each employee. And then COVID-19 hit and they said, "Whoa. I guess we don't." You know, we were hearing at Limeade from large, sophisticated technology companies saying, "We have this video of our CEO talking about COVID-19 and we we don't know how to get it out to all employees. We know some of them don't check email. We know some of them don't check our internet." You know, I think one of the missteps we've made in the implementation of technology in the workplace is that it hasn't been a consolidated strategy. One thing I invite a lot of people to do when they think about technology in the context of the employee experience is think about how many usernames and passwords you have for all of the different places that you need to go at work. When you go to checkup, pay slip, book PTO, complete your annual review, um, participate in well being activities, find out information about your benefits chat with people. like These happen in 40 different places. And so we put the burden of navigating those 40 different places on the employee instead of, as an organization, creating a consolidated strategy where there is one place I go, one app, one piece of technology that I can go to to get everything that I need. And then once you establish that connection and there's that one trusted place, that's where you can go to consistently as an organization, demonstrate that care, help employees prioritize their well-being, help them connect the work that they do to the mission of the organization, target managers with tools to be better managers, make leaders visible and transparent, help connect employees to one another, you know, create recognition and celebration. All of those things can happen in one place. But instead, I see a lot of bizarre internal competition over you know who gets resources and who gets marketing time and energy for all these different platforms and different tools and then they're all frustrated that they have about 20% of the population utilizing their tool and it's like well you've cut the pie into a million tiny slices and employees only have a certain amount of bandwidth every day so you need to break down those silos you need to build bridges between these different teams that are running different initiatives because at the end of the day you all have a common goal which is to create an amazing employee experience whether you're doing that through diversity and inclusion and equity initiatives well-being initiatives annual employee listening moments you know recognition learning and development reviews and feedback all of those things fall under the umbrella of employee experience. So create one employee experience strategy that all of the silos sort of plug into so that the strategy is employee first instead of organizational convenience and ease first.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a common mistake that, uh, that people make with their technological investment is, if it's something that HR is using, uh, it's more like, how does it work for HR rather than how does it work for the employee? and same thing with you know if it's the IT department you know making their choices it's going to be what's easiest for IT support rather than what's easiest for the for the employee so it's it's always that challenge to think about your internal customer which is the employee and the manager and and all those stakeholders
1: yeah absolutely absolutely
0: well, we are coming to the end of our time together. So, so really, Lindsay, thank you so much for this. Uh, it was really a pleasure talking with you about all of this. And uh, so, I just want to thank you for your time, and also thank Limeade for uh, for making this possible.
1: Absolutely. I mean, this is what I love love talking about, and i I have a lot of hope right now for the future of work. I think a lot of organizations are. Um, making really interesting decisions about what type of organization they're going to be and how they're going to treat people. And I think we're going to see organizations that prioritize a humanistic approach really thrive and organizations that prioritize sort of transactions and dollars and cents and bottom lines really struggle um, to be successful moving forward. Everyone's looking at how everyone is being treated right now. I know I am. I've made you know, consumer decisions to not support certain organizations anymore. And that's going to have an impact. So I think this is just a fascinating time, but I'm seeing a lot of signs of a real rehumanizing of work um, that I think is wonderful, because I think work can be a really cool, enriching part of life if an organization does it right.
0: It is, to be sure, a time for choosing. Well, thank you so much for your time. And once again, the episode was brought to you by LimeAid. Be sure to check them out at LimeAid.com. And for all ideas related to HR, come visit us at hci.org. Also, don't forget to like us, rate us, and subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Smart Radio, or wherever the heck you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Alan Mellish.